Welcome to the Semi-Woke Podcast. Welcome to Semi-Woke, y'all. This is a podcast where Sharia brainwashes me, Pranav, with one woke concept every week in an effort to turn me gay. No. No, no it's not okay. enough for you to be to be gay. Oh, That's nothing. God. That's nothing. Sorry, Mom. Uh, you have to become Pepper LeBeige's Coke Nail. Wow. <laughs> Shout out to Pepper LeBeige. <laughs> Legendary Is that mother. a pinky? Huh? Is that a pinky? It is the pinky. Okay, it's it got to be. Pinky. It's a classic Coke nail. Oh, <laughs> um, shout out to Pepper LaBeija, legendary mother of the legendary house of uh, LaBeija. Um, shout out to cocaine, I guess. Okay. I mean, you just said I'm going to be her Coke nail. I don't even know if her Coke nail is really for Coke. It's, it is a long nail and it was the 80s. I'm assuming it's I a pro- Coke I'm nail. hoping, yeah. yeah. I hope it's not earwax because that's not, that's straight. <laughs> That's extremely straight, right? No, there. straight people don't clean their ears. <laughs> I mean, that's the extent of which <laughs> they do. Extent of what they do that we do, yeah. Um, this is the first queer straight collaboration since Raven Simone and Kiki Palmer uh, singing uh, that song from the Cheetah Girls on oh. Kiki Palmer's podcast. Have you seen that? I've seen the Cheetah Girls. I haven't seen the podcast. Of course, that you've seen the Cheetah. Well, Girls. you know, I have a niece, so. Oh, is it Kenneth's fault that you've seen the Cheetah yeah, Girls? Yeah, 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 definitely. Have you seen all of them? Not all of them, but Which I've definitely Girls seen enough. See? I don't even remember. I, do you I think don't want to be no Cinderella waiting in a dark, cold, dusty. That, that's that the first sounds one. familiar. Yeah. That's the first one. So you've seen the first one. Yeah. First one's, in my opinion, the best one, not to be controversial. Yeah. Um, I met the creator of the Cheetah Girls at a flea market in New York. Get the fuck out of my yeah. face. What do you mean you met the creator of the Cheetah Girls? Um... I met her. She was she was chilling out at a flea market the in Lower Manhattan. The I forget what her name is. She looked a lot like Jack A. Henry, though. You just met some crazy lady. <laughs> I might she was have. like, you know, I invented the cheat girls. <laughs> and she was like, I'm kind of a celebrity by proxy, <laughs> just by hanging out with you. Here's some change. <laughs> Wait, what? Uh, also, uh, you know who helped executive produce the Cheetah Girls? Steve Bannon. <laughs> No. Okay. no. Why'd you say Because he started off in entertainment. He, he had a piece of Seinfeld. So it's like, who knows? Wouldn't that be so funny? That would be hilarious. For dude. the Cheetah Girls, it would explain Raven Simone's. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Um, he, um, uh, uh, no, no. The, um, uh, it was Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston helped oh. executive produce the Cheetah Girls. She helped executive produce the Princess Diaries. Wow. Yes. People Give Whitney the credit that she fucking deserves. I mean, I don't know. She gets a lot of credit, dude. She's no, she doesn't. She is an icon, but yeah. she doesn't get enough. I think she's one of the greatest, yeah. the most talented humans that has ever graced this planet. And we really, we really treated her like garbage. Um. Anyway, shout outs to Whitney. I love yeah. you. Bobby Brown treated her like garbage. He sure did. Yeah. <laughs> he sure That's, did. But boy. so did the general public. I mean, that was that would be really good to bring up on our last episode about insecure oh. men because that is just like. That's like the prototype right there. That is. Oh, so people were talking about it. People were talking. People were uh, uh, clipping out after the whole thing with Kiki Palmer, baby daddy. They were clipping out that uh, Oprah interview with her and Whitney where she's talking about how she would have to dim her light and be like, I'm Mrs. Brown, not Whitney Houston. I'm Mrs. Brown and all that stuff. You're right. Well, there's also Ike and Tina would have been another example. Although I don't think that's even a good example. I kind of like just straight up kidnapped Tina. As yeah, a teenager, yeah, and then that's true. forced her. Into but you know, a it's all about control. You yes. know, he. I think he saw her more as like he saw her like a K-pop producer and less like a true. partner. That's I really true. do believe that. Um, do you want to cancel something today? All right, I guess I got to cancel. I'm canceling Fern the cat. Whoa! Yeah, I know. It sounds like a rapper. It sounds like somebody you would bring Fern up. Fern the cat famous. is a great name it for is. a rapper. Actually. It is. It sounds like somebody you would know. Some icon that you would know. This is an actual cat. Um, a great cat, by the way. I love Fern. She's a calico, and I hate to cancel her. But you know what? I house sat for my girlfriend for a week, and I had to take care of her two cats. And I'm allergic to cats, but for some reason, I'm not allergic to these cats at all. And I grew to fall in love with these cats. You and Fern is a younger one. I do. <laughs> I do. I have, like, their poop in my brain, I yes. guess. And. <laughs> Listen, Fern, you know, it's like an abuser where it's like when they give you a little bit, you're just like smitten by them. You know what I mean? But otherwise, Fern doesn't give a fuck about me, right? The night before my girlfriend comes back, Fern won't leave me alone. And here's how Fern does it. Fern will jump up on my lap and just look at me and be like, and then she'll let me pet her behind the ear. And then she'll she'll hop away. Yes. She'll hop away and be like, yeah. 
And then she'll hop back on immediately. Yes. Different position. Like, ooh, get me from here. She's like body rolling. She's doing this. Like she's body rolling, making eye contact. Purring, purring, purring. Won't stop. This little bitch. Okay, it's following me around nonstop. I'm like, okay, me and Fern, I guess we're together now. This is amazing. This is progress. I love this. You know, Fern won't let me go to bed. She follows me up. She's literally lockstep with me, jumps into bed with me all night, all night. Just, what? No, she's bright, bounces away, looks back at me. Asses at me, looks. I'm like, is Fern trying to fuck me right she now? She kind of is, yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on with Fern? But Fern is just there with me, cuddling up with me all night, purring, purring behind my back, purring on top of my head, purring in my arms, getting in the nook of my arm. Basically, we're spooning, okay? We're basically spooning. I don't get any sleep that night. I wake up, basically 45 minutes of actual sleep. I'm sleep deprived. I'm run ragged. It feels like a chaotic hookup, you know? <laughs> And I'm just like, but you know what? It was worth it. Like me, yeah. and, oh, I finally found the one. Me yeah. and Fern. Then my bitch girlfriend comes home. <laughs> Fern hasn't looked at me since. Yeah, yeah. Fern treated me like a side piece. Yes. Fern is abusive. Fern is a predator, and Fern is now canceled. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I looking back at me, uh, <laughs> rolling her body at me. Like, what is up? Why is this cat? Okay, all cute, all cats are a little bit oh, she's, abusive. She's, she's nibbling on me too, giving me the love bite. This is a lot because okay, so I I've met Fern quite a few times. Yeah. She's a skittish kitten. Yeah, she's a little bit. Yeah, she's from the streets. She's she is from the streets. Yeah. You can tell she was in a gang. Yeah, and you you can tell she's she like was. traumatized. But like uh, she's like that. She's like a little bit, and then no. Yeah. Um, but I also think all cats are like sort of like evil. I, I no, I think they're just a little bit abusive. Like a yes, little they bit are. abusive, a little bit manipulative. Like I think if all the women that like crave a relationship with an unavailable person, bad boy, yeah, just get a cat. Just get a cat. It's the, the same, same thing. thing. Because you know what cats like to do? They like to capture you and then toy with you until yes. you die. Yes. Or until they die. Yeah. That's a piece of my cha That's very similar to my cha <laughs> He would He would be very loving, 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 and then he'd be like, fuck you. They're such demented, dark creatures. They When they catch a mouse or whatever, they don't just catch it. No, they take it away it. to torture it for yes. a while. Yes. Yes. They're really twisted creatures. That's why when the revolution comes, I'm going to have the cats run the gulag. I do. I mean, Truly. <laughs> They're going to get information out of people. That's like American Tale. That's really good. Um, American Tale. <laughs> I, I love American Tale. <laughs> Holy shit. You just unlocked a deep I memory in my I, brain. American Tale, that was the first time I ever cried in front of my dad, and I felt ashamed. My dad took me to the theater. What, you, what like were you, see, three? I was like three years old. <laughs> I was like four. And I'm in the movie, and I'm fucking really can't control it at this point. I'm just crying and I'm just hoping my dad doesn't see me. Not that my dad's a mean dude or anything, but I was just like so embarrassed. Was he reason. like, you're a fucking pussy. You fucking pussy. I like, want the cat side. I bet he, I bet he cried a little bit too. I don't think. My dad's I bet he very cried stoic, a dude. A gentleman, but a stoic uh, But man. a stoic man. Yeah. Uh, everybody go watch American Tale and watch American Tale, Fievel Goes West. Well, you know what's fucked up is I rewatched it recently with my girlfriend. And this is all about the Holocaust. Yes, it's a Holocaust I'm allegory. Like, Fuck. And Five Goes West is an immigration allegory. Yeah, yeah but you know what? I learned. I was like, I remember learning in history class about the Holocaust and being like, this sounds familiar. It's like the Holocaust <laughs> sounds like they ripped off American Tale. Yes, they really. I'm like, oh god, this Hitler dude. <laughs> he really could not come up with an original idea. <laughs> he really copied off a of Don Bluth like this. <laughs> It's so funny. Uh, anyway, uh, speaking of Don Bluth, let's okay. pay some bills let's like some he bills. couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back we'll with right our topic, back. which is staying on code, getting on code. Staying on code. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Welcome back yep. to the Semi Woke Podcast. Um, what are we talking about today, Sheree? Okay. How, what are you grooming me with? I'm going to groom you with a topic that is somewhat relevant to what's going on. Uh, and it's called staying on code or getting on code. Getting on as code. some I've heard. Of. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. No, what does it mean? I think it is a distinctly black thing because it's sort of the type of thing where I had always, I'd have always heard of this my whole life. I'd always been kind of reprimanded about this my whole life and have re reprimanded others about yeah, it yeah. my whole life. But when I was looking for a proper definition, the only, like, I was looking for some historical context. I'm sure it's in a book somewhere, mm -hmm. but it wasn't on the internet except for, like, Lipstick Alley. 
What does it mean? <laughs> okay, wait. So that's that's an interesting question. What does it mean? What does it mean? To so, code? um, okay. So I'm just gonna do like a general understanding of what it means, and then okay. I'll get into some specifics. So, <clears throat> sort of like black people say that it is your responsibility as a black person to stay on code, to get on code, and to stay on code. Okay. And you, what that really means is sort of a not as much of a prescriptive, but a a a, a, a code of conduct for black people to uh, adhere to. Okay. Uh, so that, and I think it's, again, another protective mechanism against racism, white supremacy. So what is the code, though? See, that's the problem. Uh -huh. There is no prescriptive uh, uh, code. It sort of seems like staying on code is... Um, not talking about what I've, these are the things that I've, I've gathered from Lipstick Alley and Reddit and, and uh -huh. other like blogs and stuff. Yeah. The code primarily refers to not talking about, uh, not airing out black dirty laundry in mixed company. Okay. Right. Don't talk about certain black issues mm -hmm. in mixed company. Right. And I have, I have violated code mm -hmm. several times just by having this podcast. Okay. It sounds abusive. We'll get into it. Okay. But then there's also certain things like not um, denigrating other black people. Okay. Um, there's also other things like uh, not sharing your black beauty secrets, right? I, when I was Whoa. reading Lipstick Alley, which is which is the 4chan of black women. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> love really that. Is. Lipstick Alley is 4chan for black uh -huh. women. And a lot of them were like, you want to stay on code, but you getting on TikTok and, and showing your beauty routine you showing up looking like uh, Cleo from from uh, Set It Off, and then you put on your wig and you da 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 da. You're not supposed to do that. Why aren't you supposed to do that? Because people aren't supposed to know how you get to where you're supposed to get. People, I think the idea is that black women are supposed to just show, just supposed to exist perfect and beautiful and never. Like, I don't know. But that's like, you, I mean, don't you want to share that with your community? Because it's not you. like, why, is it white people? Can they apply the same things to what they're doing? What do you mean? I don't know. Like in terms of like black beauty, right? Mm -hmm. I, I'm assuming that those are different than how white people might do do their cosmetics. You would or think, but actually, I I see some some of it is like cultural gate gatekeeping in right. some ways, but I think a lot of it is wrapped up in shame. Right. Really, it's wrapped up in black shame, and mm -hmm. I'll get into it. But I think because you have seen, like, you always see like. The Kardashians, they they adopt a black beauty uh, thing and all of a sudden it's a trend mm -hmm. and they're uplifted and they capitalize off of it and they ah, trademark okay. on it, right? And now the white girls are getting into wigs and weaves and 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 uh and uh um you know, uh combing brushing down their edges and shit like that. And and you know, people are like, hey, that's black. That's that's a right. black thing. For sure. And now they're getting credit for the, you know, like uh uh Kim Kardashian wore straight back braids and everybody was calling it boxer braids yeah. and being like she started a new trend. Even I love the idea of a white woman with straight hair going and getting a weave of like an Asian woman's straight hair. <laughs> You love the idea? I can show you actual examples of it. Oh it's even dumber than you think that it insane. is. It's so dumb. Yeah. It's so dumb. Uh, anyway, yes, that's another example of staying on code. Another example of staying on code was I, I went through this whole like 20 page thread on Lipstick Alley of yeah. all the examples of staying on code. Uh, a lot of staying on code was a lot of the stuff about beauty secrets, a lot of the stuff about, um, uh, and also a lot of stuff about divesting. Okay. We should have a whole episode about divesters and whatever. Anyway, this whole thing about divesting and not like going out in the streets and and uh, and uh, uh, putting your bodies on the line, being warriors for black men. I saw that as an example of staying on code. Whereas, oh. like when I was growing up, it was the opposite. Right. Staying on code meant always supporting black men no matter what. Right. Um. Another uh, staying on code. Don't talk about bad things black people have done. Right. Uh, publicly. Um. And like things like that. Things like that were staying on code. And all of it was just like sort of a code of conduct to protect black identity and also to be safe in white supremacist spaces i actually think it doesn't sound like a bad thing and you know what it sounds like to me it sounds like a thing that every single other racial group that's what i was does yes yes every other racial group does right it. so it doesn't necessarily sound like a bad thing because i think there is some value to staying on code yeah there's some value to even the cultural gatekeeping that we have to, right. to have to do but 
my issue with with the code and, and like the reason why I wanted to do this because I got a lot of black backlash for our texturism episode. Yes. I got a I got a bunch of I'm still getting backlash. I know from our texturism episode and. A lot of the backlash was just even discussing texturism publicly. You're not allowed to do that. There are three topics you're not supposed to talk about if you want to be a good black person. It's colorism, texturism, Jesse Smollett. These, <laughs> <laughs> these are the, those are the big three. Jesse Smollett's become like the new OJ in that way, in that like you do not criticize. I think OJ's, uh, uh, the whole OJ situation, black people's positions on OJ is a great example of staying on code to the detriment of right. like basic humanity. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, definitely. Especially after you find out how OJ feels about black people. He'd always been that. You know what He'd I mean? always been like that. He, he never he was with like black such people. a he's such a white supremacist. Oh it's insane. My God. It's yeah. insane. And but you still gotta stay on call. You still gotta stay on call. Even code. somebody who was not on call, you gotta stay on call. Right. You know what I mean? Um and okay, so my issue with the language, even, is it's it's the language of policing. It's the language of policing. It yeah. literally harkens back to to me. I don't know if there's a distinct historical connection to it, but I would I'd be hard pressed. I think it, it'd be weird if it, there weren't a connection to the black codes. Oh, you know what interesting. I mean? Yes. Where it was literally a code of conduct for black people after, uh, during like reconstruction, the Jim Crow laws, the black codes, right? Things that were basically like uh, laws that we still have today, like loitering. Mm-hmm. These, these are laws that exist because of the black so it, codes, right? right? To, so black people weren't allowed to just exist in spaces without doing some sort of labor, right? Right. That was illegal. Mm-hmm. That was a code. Uh, you're not allowed to to vote unless you can read a fucking you know Dostoevsky novel in yeah. 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Things like that. Things that are that are. They exist as policing, and now we do the policing of one another. Right. I, on the one hand, there's a there's a degree of like, I understand where it's coming from mm-hmm. because a lot of when I was reading, it was like, not everybody's your friend. Mm-hmm. Stop having friends that are not black. Mm-hmm. Ha- stop having non-black friends. Right. Stop discussing personal issues that are related to your blackness right. with your non-black friends. That is a real no-no. Okay. Right. I'm against that. <laughs> I'm against okay. that. Okay, I want to get to why you're against it, yeah, yeah. but I want to I want to point something out. Point it out. And to me, that actually sounds like a very constructive and positive like instrument of group formation and group protection, yes. specifically for black people because yes. you know, other groups of people who end up in this country who are not white already have these codes in place. Yes. So black people have a very unique uh, unique story in this country in that there were people who were prevented consistently from forming communities yes. in successive waves, yes. right? For, we have slavery, right? Obviously. Yeah. But then you go into Jim Crow. Then yes. you go into, you see black people thriving in their own communities after a while. Boom, again. A mob. You know what I mean? A riot, right. Yes. A mob, a riot, right? Uh, black Wall Street, all yep. that stuff, right? Where black people have consistently tried to... Uh, um, actualize group identity in a really constructive and positive way. And it's been disruptive because it's threatening to to white supremacy, you could say. Right. And so for me, I think staying on code is a positive thing because it's a, it's a luxury that black people have not had as a group that every other group is allowed to have for sure. Right. And that is allowed for the success of those groups. For sure. Chinese people, Indian people, Jewish people, Greeks, Italians. Yes. Right. Italians. What is their, Code Omerta, right? Via the mafia, of course. I'm not I was just about to say that's a little, uh, but, you know what I that's mean? That's a little offensive. Like the mafia did so start. So all Italians that. are in the mafia. But listen, but listen, the mafia did start, yes. right? Yes. As a way of, of protecting, fortifying Italian Businesses. culture, identity, yes. protecting them in a society that yes. was hostile to yes. them. Yes. Yes. So, and financially, ultimately. Yes. Right. And so, yes, exactly. Yeah. So to me, Staying on code to me sounds like something that is necessary and is really potentially very beneficial to the black community. Okay. To, I think so mm-hmm. in certain ways, but I think it's the language of, of staying on code. It's the language of policing your blackness that is the issue with that, that I take issue with. Right. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, I understand like we need to protect our black communities and not not everything needs to be for the public for right. public consumption for sure but i do think that it can now it can it, i understand where it comes from i understand it's out of the need to protect uh black 
black a little actualization of, of black community yeah. like I, I totally get that the ability for black people to succeed to succeed though, right? in in community but i think it often does more for tearing apart these communities than it does mm. for actually protecting them right How so in the way that once somebody is off code what's the punishment exile exile so like is that creating community and also we don't have one singular definition of what that means Mm -hmm. to stay on code right right? so we can just decide somebody's not on code exile them from blackness and now what like that Mm -hmm. doesn't really help grow the community i also think it is one of those holdovers that is uh, a protective measure that i think we need to not necessarily get rid of but examine its usefulness in present day. Okay. That's what I mean. Like, yes, okay, uh, when, when you know, I mean, look, white people will always riot and, and choose violence. White mm. people, but the thing is, here's what I've learned from being a white, per, a black person in white spaces. Mm-hmm. White people are going to be awful no matter what. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, just okay. as someone, I went to school with white people right. and white people are going to be fucking terrible to you no matter what. You can never, a lot of stay on code is about code switching. Right. right? Yep. A lot of staying on code is not being too black mm-hmm. publicly in front of in front of white people or right. in front of non-black people. Right. Um, and and so the, and it, that comes to policing your blackness when it comes to like things like not wearing your hair natural in mixed right. company, not discussing certain issues in mixed company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it requires black people to sort of dissect themselves mm-hmm. into different uh identities right right which i don't think as much as other cultures are able to like they're not they don't have to do that right they don't have to do that you can be russian outside of a russian community but you're not allowed to be black and outside of the that's, black community. that's something i don't actually understand um what do you mean so what do you mean you can't be black outside of? Or you can't be community? too black you can't be too black mm-hmm. you can't speak a certain way mm-hmm. you can't use certain words right. you can't expose your blackness is in the form of your natural hair mm-hmm. it, it, to to people outside of that community mm-hmm. these are these are things that you shouldn't be out of protection out of mm-hmm. protection for sure out yeah. of protection you don't want you we need to have our own secret language so that people don't know what we're talking right. about at all times yeah we need to protect ourselves yeah. but these like i think there is a different way for black people to exist on in the world besides being policed or policing one another because mm. then that also like a lot of staying on code becomes allowing abusive uh, allowing abuse within the community mm. um a lot of staying on code is supporting in my experience supporting black men who have done really bad things okay. right uh supporting or not talking about abuse like the entire reason for the me too movement was initially started to talk about black community it was to talk about uh, sexual abuse within the black community okay and because we are not allowed to talk about it i i and at least i've had this uh in my own family where there's a person in our family who everybody knows is a sexual abuser yeah but we're just not allowed to talk about it. Right. We're not allowed to talk about it because you don't want to throw another black man, especially a black family member Mm -hmm. to the wolves, which is, and the wolves is the the justice system. Yeah. And, and it is our job to protect them. Stay on code. Right. Right. I think that of course it's a protective mechanism and of course it has its usefulness, Mm -hmm. but we need to re-examine where it's useful and where it's not and maybe get more uh, aligned about what it actually means to stay or get on code. Do you not think, and obviously, and I think, and I understand it now, and I think this is something that all racial groups have. A hundred percent. Right. That's also, sorry, that's another thing that black people always say is like, all right, I'm just going to say it. A lot of black people are like, Jewish people do it. Jewish people always it's stay Jewish on people code. Jewish people do it, but every other racial every group does it, right? Except for does it. except for white people in the sense that like they don't need they to. don't need to, right? Yes. And I do see the utility in it. And you're right. Situations like that are always going to be rife for abuse, but yes. what you see, you know who's an amazing example of, of of the importance of staying on code and how it helps? Muslims. The Muslim community is extremely because listen, they might have their own internal struggles about the hijab, mm. LGBTQ mm. rights, mm. da 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 da. da. They, the minute some something happens involving a Muslim person, they circle the wagons yes. and they protect the community. And as a result, 
they were not only able to survive during the war on terror era, they've yeah. been able to thrive beyond it yes. and actually find an extremely prominent place in left politics, despite the fact that they have very anti-left views. Where do they have a prominent place in left politics? Oh, I mean, in terms of, I think, what their standing is, right, as a group. Like, they've been protected now, right? What? I don't know about that. I think so, you yeah. You think Muslims are protected under leftist politics? Oh, I think I think leftist and Yes, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing either, right? I just don't think it's true. I think it's totally true because of the war on terror, right? Um, but this is just one example. They were, they were infiltrating mosques. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, 100% they were. But the fact is, is that... When you think about it, the primary antagonists during the war on terror vis-a-vis Muslims were right-wing white people, right? Sure. They, what they were able to do successfully was forge really strong connections within leftist, left-wing communities, right? Think about things like Palestine, anti, anti-war activism in general. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, these are the ties they were able to forge. Mm-hmm. And now uh, Muslims in general are very much in that umbrella, right? And they've been able to do that They've been able to do that. Muslims get attacked all the time. All the time. Especially in like places like France and like... Okay, I'm talking about America. Okay, okay, but we'll talk about America. Like Let's talk about Muslims, America. Th- that's like one of the biggest things that Isla, like Trump Isla, was able to succeed at by calling Tr- Obama a Muslim. Trump is a right winger is my point though. Uh-huh. Right? And that's exactly my point. You're bringing... Yeah, that's exactly it. Right? Uh-huh. He was able to frame Obama being a leftist or a, not a really, but you know what I'm saying? A liberal, yes. right? Oh, he's a Muslim. But that's also going in another a bunch of other different categories. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's not like Obama is running as a Republican. But it's not like the that. left was like, well, what what what's so bad about being Muslim? They were like, Obama's not a Muslim. In some cases, right? But in I'm ta- all I'm, cases. Th- that's liberals, okay? Not yeah, leftists, okay, okay. right? Okay. Leftist politics You mean now. like more and more progressive policy? I'm politics. DSA, yes, okay, right? Okay, okay, all okay. of that, socialist, all of that stuff. Yes, yes. You know what I mean? They're fully, there's a great, there's a strong sense of allyship between Muslim communities and leftist communities, right? And leftist politics. Yes, That's my point. Okay, I see what you mean. Right? And they were able to achieve that through, in some measure, staying on code within their own community. By not revealing. Well, it's just like when when there's a terrorist attack, Mm -hmm. right? Instead of being like coming up publicly, we need to differentiate between good Muslims and bad Muslims. They don't mm-hmm. po- fall into those politics, yes, right? Yeah. The way other communities do, yeah. the way black people oftentimes are forced to do, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Apologizing for their own community. Mm-hmm. Instead, no, they're like, no, you know what? This is X, Y, and Z, imper- Western imperialism, mm-hmm. right? All of this stuff, which are all true mm-hmm. and which fall in line very well with leftist politics. Sure, but there's also a lot of right-wing Muslim politics. This uh, That is... 100% true, yeah. right? I, I mean, at its core, Ye- it's a very conservative religion, right? And we're yes. seeing that especially recently with all the um, the stuff that happened during Pride Month in Michigan and stuff like that. Where what happened to, okay, what oh, I no, you, and, and I don't want to make this all about most because I'm just using them as an yeah, example of people yeah, who are yeah. afraid yeah. it's Yeah, yeah, no, 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 but yeah. Um, you know, we could talk about Italians, Greeks, anybody. It's yeah. an inherently conservative phenomenon to stay on code. Too, yes. Right? Yes. And or and it's a, and it's a conservative phenomenon that is there in order to preserve Protect the group and at preserve all costs. Your group. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, but you know, and back in in like Michigan, the the Islam is it was uh dominated by Muslims. The city council were like no pride flags in public anywhere, right? Happened in a t- Hamtrank, Michigan, I think it was called. Wow. Yeah, and what happened is that on the other side you had uh, LGBTQ activists yeah. who didn't know how to respond to it because as leftists, they've been conditioned to be like, no, Muslims are our allies. We need to stick up for them. They're an oppressed um, and targeted group. They're mm-hmm. a protected c- class of citizens that we need to circle the wagons mm-hmm. around, right? Mm-hmm. But they weren't seeing it happening in the other direction. Mm-hmm. And it led now to a very new sort of tension, I mm-hmm. think, on the left, mm-hmm. right? That was my only thing. And and I didn't want to necessarily focus on Muslims, No, 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 but, but that was a very good example. Yeah. A very good example of, yes, so stay on code is in the sense of like, Closing ranks and aligning yourselves with that to the 100%. even and even so I totally I I somewhat feel you on that I I somewhat feel you on that because I do see the usefulness under white supremacy of staying on code mm-hmm. but I don't know to me I think 
yes, it's great that they're aligned with leftist uh, poli- uh, leftist politics or whatever, but how useful have leftist politics been to really uh, protecting the Muslim community? So, look, that's a whole other question, but I would say very effective. You would say were, very effective. Yeah, they've yeah. been successively, during Obama and then during Trump, able to shut down the Muslim ban. Okay, it was not able to happen. There was mass mobilization, sure, and that didn't happen just from Muslims, sure, uh, raising hue and cry about it. Yes. right. It happened from everybody from on the everybody left being like, "This is fucked agree- up." Yes, you yes. know what I'm saying. But okay, so, so I'm I saying think it does have effect for sure. And I'm not but that, that is, I think it is an interesting example of staying on code because Muslims sort of didn't really stay on code. They sort of aligned themselves with non-Muslims. They literally share, like... Well, my point about it was this, right? Was that they were able to, by staying on code, right? And keeping their own group coherence. And they were were forging allyships, though. Yes. You know what I mean? That was was how... But they were forging allyships by sharing their struggles with... No, uh, that's what they're not doing. They're not. They're not going to that. This is my point, uh-huh. right? Is Muslims who have an issue with women's rights, right? Um, yes. Okay. Okay. All okay. the all the inter- in, in, internal Inher- struggles so, that happen okay. with every okay. minority group. Yeah. They're not going to the ACLU and being like, "Hey, we want to make awareness about um, what it means to wear the hijab or whatever." Instead, what were they able to successfully do? Mm-hmm. They were able to make the hijab an issue of white supremacy. Yes. Right, and yes. thus circle the wagons around the hijab is our choice. And da 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 and da 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 da. Okay, right. But black people, when they stay on code, they're not really doing that. Mm-hmm. We're not. We the re- the reason why we don't want to discuss, especially like the beauty secrets thing. Mm-hmm. Why we don't want to discuss our internal issues in 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 uh, in mixed company right. is because we hold a lot of shame about those issues, right. and we feel that we bear the responsibility of these mm-hmm. issues when in reality. They are white supremacist issues. Yeah. They are, again, uh, us con- uh, being conditioned by a system of white supremacy that has enslaved and, and controlled us yeah. and doing it to ourselves before the outside world does it to us. Yeah. Right. Whereas like like and I don't think it's a necessarily a thing where we need to have these debates about texturism publicly, but where we can have um, a not a cognizance, but like a, a, a an awareness about the history of mm-hmm. these things where we don't have to necessarily just assign everything to it's black culture and we don't talk about these things and that's a secret. <laughs> you know how offended I was in the comments on one of the texturism clips? People are saying stuff like, not you talking about this within caps, Indian, goddamn. God motherfucking damn. I see why they were saying that too, because there is, I. Th- this is the thing. I know this is like why I think it's a shame thing. The reason why it's, it's controversial to discuss this with an Indian man is because a Indian Remy comes from India. Indian Remy. <laughs> uh, that's a hair. That's okay. a type of hair, right? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of our hair comes from the global South. Yes. A lot of the hair that's used, the, the bundles, that's where they come from. Yeah. That Because that is a, that is, of way we, we sort of I think we also carry a lot of shame about participating in an industry that is exploitative in a way uh, in a in an effort to uh gird against our own exploitation mm. within America mm. right right so we like but the thing is, if you partic- if you buy anything, you're participating in an exploitative industry. Right. If you've ever eaten chocolate, you everything, basically, literally anything, okay. anything. Like so, uh, I don't necessarily see that as our shame to bear. Right, and I think that's again an issue of shame. But I think also there's another thing of uh, the the struggle between uh, uh, South Asians and uh, Black people. Right. A lot of it is, uh, if you're arguing, it's like, oh, well, you're wearing our hair. And a lot of Black people be like, you'd be darker than us. Yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. hey, 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 you guys are fighting over uh, white supremacy. You're just using the language of white supremacy yeah. to battle each other. Yeah. And you it's know it smell crazy in there. You know it's You know what crazy really smell crazy? Casserole. All right? <laughs> Fucking green bean casserole. Do you know what really white smell bean. crazy? No offense, Connor. White people feet. <laughs> <laughs> white people feet smell crazy but you won't see that argument right. happening you'll see that between 
uh, communities of color so battling ask, to align with power. Can I ask you something? What do you think is the acceptable level at which there needs to be a staying on code? I, I mean, I don't Because the texturism thing fucked me up a little bit because I was surprised about that. I, mm. I, I was very shocked and now I understand what you're mm -hmm. talking about mm -hmm. to see in all the comments, like, mm. not all because you were there were some really supportive comments. Too there were, you, there you were know? and we thank you for that. But thank there you. was a lot of people, a lot of biracials, hello, um, being like, how can, how can you talk about this outside the community? Yes. Are there places within the community to talk about these issues? That's so funny because I honestly have found sometimes, obviously it's super helpful to talk to other people within the natural hair community about it, but there's texturism within the natural hair community mm -hmm. and we need to talk about that. But the reason why there's texturism within the natural hair community is because we have not gotten to the root of the issue. Mm -hmm. And the root of the issue isn't ours. Right. It's white supremacies. It's right. the larger cultures, right? Mm -hmm. I think if anything, we should discuss our our struggles publicly be not maybe all of them not all of them but i think we should discuss our struggles publicly because a lot of our struggles are mirrored by the struggles of other people of color uh i think like especially the colorism episode mm -hmm. there's a lot of overlap with that right and and a colorism is another topic that people black people say don't talk about colorism right in in in, in mixed company in mixed company even though it's a global issue yes that actually if we discussed it if we got to the root of it mm -hmm. if we if we obviously not everybody has the best intentions right but if we could find allyship outside of just our own community maybe that would be empowering to us the same way it is to Muslims, the same way it is to Jewish communities, the same way it is to a East Asian communities. Right. Like, obviously, there is always going to be racism and there always will be an attempt to destroy those communities. But if we change the language from codes, from policing, from, from legalizing our uh, conduct and our behavior, mm -hmm. I, I think we should change the language to just seeking community. Seeking community that is supportive, mm -hmm. right? I think there is a limit. There's a way to. There's a balance between uh, uh, protecting community and making sure that you are surrounded by Black community and making sure that you're discussing these issues with other Black people, which of course we do. That's all. Th see, that's the thing. That's the only time those conversations ever take place is among Black people, right. and a lot of times they get, uh, they they devolve. Because, like, people don't, they devolve because of the shame surrounded by the issues. Because we don't actually recognize that these are not our own things. And just like, just like, uh, they're not exclusive to us. I mean, mm. like, just like uh, your example about uh, the Muslim community and the Jewish community. You don't think there's schism? Black people often say this, like, oh, the white people don't do this. Right. Oh, the Jewish people don't do this. It's only black people that fight. That's right. not true. Right. There are schisms in every single community and especially within marginalized communities. Okay, but maybe the difference is, is that in those other communities, you don't see those internal struggles spill out into the open in a way. And you know what? Here's the thing is I you understand. You absolutely do. The hijab, uh, uh, the, 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 um, the hijab thing is very much settled in a public domain. I'm not saying within the Muslim community, but the fact is, is that the pro hijabis have won that effectively, except in a place like Iran. Okay. Right. So listen, okay. here, here, this, this is my point. Is like, I'm just talking about in the public domain, how, the, how it's perceived publicly, mm -hmm. because communities do this because they see that when other groups see points of uh, friction or, or fracture it's within a, a community, they it's can a exploit. vulnerability that can be exploited, yeah, 100%. right? And thus, they're always shoring up their defenses, 100%. right? But if we never discuss our vulnerabilities, mm -hmm. then they will continue to be vulnerabilities. Right. It's a really tricky thing, and I say this as an Indian, it because, is. because and just Asian immigrants in general, because we have a thing where we're always joking, like, <laughs> our parents beat us, isn't that funny, and it's great. Black but people no do that too. Yeah, but nobody ever, you know... But when people are like, hey, our parents could have been more loving or more whatever, more white in many ways, right? Because this is how it's perceived. Listen to me. Okay, okay. Listen to me. This okay. is how it's perceived. Okay. That. Being like, hey, I wish my dad had given me a hug or whatever. When Indians or, or South Asians or Asians say that, mm -hmm. you'll always have another voice from within the community. These are the code police. We're like, those are white politics. Yes. Stop being white. Yes. You know what I yes. mean? Yes. Yes. And that's a very tricky balance to maintain, right? Because what we're actually talking about is discipline. And that is a discipline that is there to fortify the community, mm. to ensure the economic and social success of that community that mm -hmm. in, in a place especially where it's not theirs, uh -huh. right? And so it makes a certain logical sense 
to enforce those codes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what's so funny, which is now what I'm saying is that same issue, that exact same issue is mirrored in black community and in black families. Mm. Black people all have a hard time talking about the abuse they endured as children mm -hmm. because we don't want to frame it as abuse because right. framing it as abuse is white culture. Right. It's not. White people beat the shit out of their kids. Of course. Okay? Like, I used to teach a uh, 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 Bible summer camp in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Hilarious. That is so fucking funny. <laughs> and I'm let me tell you, them white people beat the fucking shit out of their kids. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't in the like fun, funny way that sometimes we can tell our stories. It was in a harrowing way. And right. every community deals yeah. with every with single child. community. When I was teaching in Vietnam, they would literally, I literally could not put any kids in trouble when you would teach in the pub public schools. Yeah. The public schools, they had a big stick. If we, if you pointed out a child, I did it once and never did it again. If you pointed at a child that was being disruptive, they would take them right outside the classroom and beat them while they wailed. And you'd be like, Apple. <laughs> <laughs> while hearing the cries of a child in the distance. Yeah. And like, this is, these aren't issues that are isolated to our community and maybe Obviously, we can't do everything all together, mm. but I'm a big fan of the idea of allyship. I know it doesn't usually pay, like it doesn't pan out the way mm -hmm. we usually want it to, but I think this is an issue where we have a parallel mm -hmm. and where maybe we can have these discussions among reasonable people mm -hmm. of different races and cultures right. who share in these in these uh, uh, struggles, yeah, right, and these experiences. Um, and I think keeping it in-house and refusing to, to discuss it sort of makes it sort of like a, um, fuck, what do you call? Uh, uh, just reinforces. What? Reinforces the same issues because now we're just like, well, it's black to beat your children. Right. It's black to beat your children. Right. And it's like, maybe it's not black. Maybe it's a holdover of the way that we were taught to protect our children because if you don't beat your child, the white man will kill them. Right. It's a way of enforcing discipline. That's so right. That it's discipline. Stay in pocket. But it's not just discipline because you can enforce discipline. It's not about enforcing discipline. It's about associating deep physical pain with doing the, was doing with stepping outside of the rules. Right. Mm. Because as a Indian child and as a black child, if you go out into the world and you break the rules, the punishment is more severe Definitely. than if you are a white person. Yeah. And that is why we do it. We do it as a means of protection. Absolutely. Right? But that can be misguided. And maybe we, just like I agree that cultural appropriation can be bad in some ways and good in other ways, I believe that like sharing our cultural struggles can be good in some ways and bad in some ways. Mm -hmm. Good in the ways that we can have another viewpoint about our and recognize that these aren't just our issues alone. Uh -huh. And therefore we have less shame around resolving to, to fix them. Yeah. But also you don't want to share all your vulnerabilities with everybody because they can be exploited and they will be exploited. Right. So I, it's, it's, it's complex and I wish we could have the discussion. Um, but I know I'm going to get in trouble just for even talking about this. I, I well, I mean, <laughs> I think we have to move on soon. Yes. But I would. Do you have anything to say specifically to commenters who are telling you to not talk about these issues? Oh on yes, TikTok I sure fucking do. Let me see if I can say this in the way that won't get me in trouble. Um, I'm not going to be able to say this in a way that won't get me in trouble. Yeah. Let me yeah. just say it. Listen, I honestly believe that a lot of the issue with me discussing the issue of texturism on in a public forum is because if we really look into it, if we look deep down into that issue, we have to recognize that a lot of the texturist comments, a lot of the things that taught you to hate your hair came from people who loved you the most, mm -hmm. right? Same with me. It came from your mothers, came from your aunties, came from your friends, right? Who told you that hair is nappy. And if we and the fear is that when we dis deconstruct that self-hatred, that what we will do is separate ourselves from the people who love them or blame the people who love us for, for teaching us to hate ourselves. And I don't think that's necessarily their blame. What they were trying to do was protect you mm -hmm. because they grew up in an era where uh, if you left your house with a with a fro, you could be taken away by CPS. Right. OK. And like so you can you can be like, OK, that was a wrong message, but it was a message that was given to me out of love. Right. The the shame of texturism isn't 
ours to bear. The shame of texturism is white supremacy, right. right? If we can recognize texturism as simply another form of racism, we can understand that it's not our fault. That if you hold issues of self-hatred, if you have found yourself policing other black women's hair, that maybe that's okay. It's not okay, but it's not, you didn't do something because you're a bad person. Right. You're not a bad person because you either don't know how to love your hair. You are a person who has existed in a world that has told you that your blackness is bad and it needs to be policed. Mm -hmm. And you are doing everything you can to preserve and protect yourself and to thrive in a white supremacist society. That's okay. If you are feeling judged by that conversation, I'm sorry. If you were feeling judged, if you were feeling exposed by that conversation, I'm sorry, but I don't, I think the anger is misplaced. <laughs> the anger is misplaced. The anger should be at a society that has created and reinforced these rules for blackness and not at people who discuss how ways that we can deconstruct and maybe move past them. Mm. Um, so like, and again, I'm not saying don't wear your wigs and weaves. I acknowledge a, an element of my privilege in there. Like, I work from home and all this other stuff. I don't have kids that I have to, you know what I mean? Like, I, I have to, like, I acknowledge it and I'll acknowledge it again and again. But I think a lot of people were just wanting to shut down the discussion in, in because it is an example of not staying on code to even have these discussions publicly. Right. So, I, I, you know, like, you're going to feel however you're going to feel. I personally believe... And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is going to bite me in the ass, right? But I personally believe in not um, holding secret shame. I believe your secrets kill you. I believe shame kills you, in my experience. And I have found comfort in maybe explaining these topics to people who may have never heard of it. And right. I, I hope that when I had this discussion with you, you were able to maybe look within yourself and see ways that you could... Uh, uh, um, understand why because you have seen it and you don't know why right? right and a lot of people think it's just self-hate black women hate themselves right it's not hate self-hate it's protection yeah well after that conversation i i did start scolding black women with wigs thank you okay you good. Know. good I mean, good mission accomplished good you did a great, great job, job. <laughs> fucking hey all right i'm sorry y'all was right y'all was right it's like you hate yourself miss <laughs> i was snatching wigs off of people that was literally they appreciate people they didn't appreciate me trying to like help empower them as black people. And I don't know what's up with that. That's literally what people were saying. They were like, cause there was a woman who got her wig snatched off or whatever. And I'm like, do you think the guy that snatched the wig saw our podcast? And then immediately that's not what happened. That's not what happened. It's that these things have always existed. It's a hate crime. People yeah. are going to hate crime you no matter what. Yeah. And, and it's not black people's uh, job to police our own behavior, to prevent uh, white people from being evil. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's what what I'll what I'll say about that. But also staying on code, good and bad. Let's all let's like figure out what the fucking code is. Though. Let's see where the code is most valuable. Yes, let's figure group, out where right? the code is most valuable. What are our goals and how can we? Yeah, I think that's the most important thing. Every single group every needs single to determine group needs to in yes. terms of well, what's actually valuable in terms yes. of how we police ourselves and how we govern ourselves. And honestly, I think the ones who need to stay on code and get on code are white people. Hey, hey, Connor. Get on fucking code. I don't know. I think it's for the, everyone's benefit that, that they, they don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every time they do anything, it turns They've into They've been really genocide. good at organizing themselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Maybe not, actually. You know. um, yeah, okay. Let's wrap up this discussion, and then uh, let's... Uh, I think we should do a problematic fave. Okay. Um, I actually had a problematic fave given to me by a, uh, a, uh, my friend Mole Man. Um, I like that. That's what you call him. Mole Man, hi. That is his name. <laughs> And well, like, yeah, so Mole Man, we, we went to middle school together. <laughs> uh, we called him that, like, his whole life. He, like, Back then he was Mole Boy. So but... the reason why he was Mole Man is because he looked like, you know, Hans Molman from The Simpsons okay. with the glasses? Okay. He looked like that as a child. For and... a minute, I thought this was, like, an unhoused kid that you knew. And we were like, here comes Mole Man. <laughs> no, his family had money. <laughs> so, like, he looked like Hans Molman, so we called him Mole Man. And then I think he, like, he, like, grew up and he, like, Started like working out and shit, and he Good became like, buff dude. He got LASIK. Hell yeah! Um, man. And then one time he came to visit me uh, at uh, at one of my at my dorm, and my like extremely hot roommate opens the door and sees him, and she goes, "Are you Mole Man?" And he was like, Jesus. <laughs> "This was I worked so hard." 
hard to shed this identity. Anyway. <laughs> well, it sounds like he could get it. It's a moment he can borrow himself in my pussy any day. I um, think that's a, I, I don't think he ever used that. Good for um, you, Mole Chad. Mole Chad. Mole Chad. Yeah, let's call him Mole Chad. He's a Mole Chad. He is a Mole Man. Um, uh, okay, so, okay, for some reason I'm not getting the thing. Whatever, I'm just gonna, oh, there we go. Oh, there we go. Okay. All right. All right. Here's his problematic fave. Old cinema. He said, I was thinking about Casablanca. One black guy in it. <laughs> no strong females. Definitely no females of color. The film and others like it are a product of their time. But I still love them. Hard to divorce how homogenous the casting is. Okay, now make it funny, Sharia. Thank you, mole man. Um, I'm not gonna make it funny, but I am. <laughs> I'm not gonna make it funny, but I am going to uh, uh, co-sign it because you know me. I love classic film. Mm-hmm. I love classic yes, film of all stripes, um, and it is a problematic fave of mine because a lot of classic film reinforces it's not just like oh there's only one black guy in it. It reinforces a lot of white supremacy sure. uh, talking points. Of course, honestly. I would say old uh, classic cinema kind of radicalized me in a lot of ways because you can see the cultural changes, the cultural shifts uh, over the past 100 or so years reflected in film, right? Mm -hmm. You have the pre-code era when the film was getting, was gay and sexy and like subversive and talked about stuff like abortion. Mm -hmm. And then you see the Hayes Code come in and put the fucking, you know, Mm -hmm. hammer down. And suddenly all the films had to be, uh, uh, you know, coded there was like a lot of coded language Mm -hmm. that was like "Mm." there was a you know smoking a cigarette now was a was a was sex right um there was no nudity right and then you see the wartime and how the like patriotism becomes more important right Mm -hmm. you see the way that they subjugate women during the times when they needed after war to get women back to work you see those things reflected in the cinema and i think if you have a critical lens toward these things they're not their problematicness becomes an asset, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then you also see like things like I've watched so much classic film that I have no fucking patience for an all white cast in anything now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, y'all have done it enough, right? So uh, I, but it is a fave of mine, and I'm sure I have internalized some sort of uh, uh, traditionalist uh, conservative <sighs> viewpoint. I mean, look, you can't ignore the fact that all narrative. All narrative period is a form of civic instruction, whether mm. we want to think about that or not, which is propaganda, right? Mm. That's what we're looking at. You can say there's good propaganda, there's bad propaganda. But so I think that I understand why you love it because you view it more from a sociological perspective yes. and it helps you observe the world yes. in an interesting way. It's not like you're inhabiting that universe of the movie and thinking it's good, right? Necessarily. I know there are cases. Um, <laughs> but. I cry every time I watch Camille. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now Voyager is literally my favorite movie. I see myself as Betty Davis. In well, that listen, movie. my mom learned how to beat us from watching Mommy Dearest. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to say that. Before that, it was traditional ways. Hey, a wooden spoon, maybe a slap. After that, she was like, coat hangers. Man, that was not Joan the point Crawford. Of that, movie. that was not the point of that movie. <laughs> Also, Joe Crawford is a great actress. Honestly, out of all the people who beat children. I, she should have gotten a pass. <laughs> she gets a know? pass. She's uh. great. <laughs> so that's, a, that's Mole Man's problematic fave and my problematic fave. Love it. Also, if you want, send us problematic faves. Yeah, send us your problematic faves, guys. Uh, DM us. DM us. Semi-woke, semi-underscore-woke-pod. Underscore-pod? Yeah, yeah you know where we're underscore-woke, at. Semi-underscore-woke-pod. Yes. Uh, and and DM us or DM us either of us on Instagram or Do Twitter. It. Not him on Twitter. No, I'm not on Twitter. Um, threads, threads for me, but there's He's no on DM threads. function. Uh-huh. Wait, if you ever want to delete thread, threads, your entire Instagram goes, I know, by the way. I know. Anyway, yes. Uh, yeah, send us your problematic faves. Send us ideas for blaming capitalism. Yep, all that. All that shit. Uh, and, jo- you know, join the semi-woke mob. Join the semi-woke mob. We got to. We got to. Get our pitchforks. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, like and subscribe. We love you guys. We love you. Stay. Stay semi-woke. Stay semi-woke.